0: Nick Cortwright is author of The Forgotten World, Let There Be Light, and Punchline, and he serves as the executive editor of Atmosphere Press. His poetry has appeared in Harvard Review, Kenyon Review, Boston Review, Iowa Review, ag Gulf Coast, and Southern Review, among dozens of others. His essays and other prose have been published in Huffington Post, Best American Poetry, Gothamist, and Spin Magazine. With a doctorate in literature from the University of Texas, Nick lives in Austin with the poet Lisa Motolo and their children. Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm happy to be here. Excited to have you here. I really enjoyed your book. Um, Thank you. What was the moment where poetry clicked as an art form that you wanted to create? I remember when when it clicked for me, it was a 10th grade, a creative writing teacher. When did it click for you?
1: Yeah, I think you know because when i was in in high school i was always a writer uh but i always wrote stories and when i was in in high school i was writing these big sprawling sort of tom clancy style international intrigue books and i still have some of them one's called the prince's disappearance so just to give you an idea of the type of work i was doing um But then, slowly but surely, I just found myself wandering away from characters and towards ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that sort of shift away from sort of plot-driven stuff to idea-driven stuff happened in college. And uh, one really interesting thing that I always think back on was when I sort of discovered I needed to actually work hard at this if I wanted to be good at it is... I had this one friend who, you know, I we always traded poems and I remember this one time he showed me this poem that he wrote and it was good, you know, and, and I read it and that just scared the crap out
2: of me, mm-hmm. I was
1: like, oh my God. It's like, if my friend's gonna write this good poem, I really need to, you know, get my act together. And, <laughs> and at that point I was, you know, all in, you know, writing poetry. You know every single day i wrote a poem every single day for like two years at one point when i was young they're all like really you know rough to read now they're all about my you know aching post-adolescent heart you know <laughs> <laughs> but uh but i think that that was sort of when you know poetry became my mode and i've been kind of stuck with it ever
0: since very cool i think i have a very similar experience yes i look back at uh my earliest poetry, and, and a few of them I'm proud of still, and a lot of them are I'm like, okay, I was that's a, it was important learning experience. So, <laughs> so coming up with a title for a collection is a challenge in itself. What does the title "The Forgotten World" mean to you beyond it being the opening line of the final poem in the collection?
1: Yeah, so titling a book is an enormous pain, uh, and this book was was no different. Both my first two books were, you know grueling enterprises in terms of titling. Writing the poems is easy, like figuring out what to call the book. That's really hard. And, <laughs> and I just never had a, a title for this. This book is, you know, it's a travel book. It takes place all around the world. Uh, and because of that, it took me a long time to write because I was pretty much only writing it when I was outside of the United States. And since I have kids, Uh, There's no like leaving for too terribly long at any given stretch. So I, to come to the title, The Forgotten World, it actually came about like during the early stages of the pandemic, because I had all these poems that were about traveling and about the outside world. And I felt like you know what what am i even going to do with this it's so irrelevant to the world today all these poems about the rest of the world because we're all trapped in our houses and it's like the, the whole rest of the world is completely forgotten to us mm. and then i was just sort of like oh there you go that's, yeah. that's the concept that the outside world you know has been forgotten and it was only after that that the final poem of the collection actually got that line put into it because I was, I needed something to bring mm-hmm. it all together. So there's that a uh, bit of manipulation there, I, I suppose.
0: Uh, I I love the backstory to the title. I suspected there was there was something interesting under the hood there. Um, so the, as you mentioned, the poems in this collection take the reader around the world. Does using place as a source of inspiration change how you appreciate travel, and what role has travel played in your life?
1: yeah so i you know traveled not too much when i was younger but you know probably about seven years ago i i was actually i got divorced and that sort of really shook up my life uh and know i had a custody battle the whole thing it was really brutal and i just found myself wanting to really reinvent my reality Mm -hmm. Uh, and a way that it seemed good to do that was just to put myself out there in the world in places where i was going to be very isolated where i was going to be the only person like traveling by myself in places where there was nobody else who looked like me, you know, stuff like that. I think it really helped me develop a sense of, you know, identity and in the book itself, like a sense of, you know, what it means to be an American or what it means to be a a white male in a world in which, you know, people like that have caused a lot of destruction. Um, So I still often, you know, look to travel uh and you know using uh racking up as many uh credit card points as i can to get those free plane (laughs) tickets uh you know as a means of sort of destabilizing my life uh to just keep things interesting and keep myself challenged
0: very cool uh were these poems written in part at least in the moment as you experience these places or were they reflections and written later or a combination
1: yeah they're actually almost entirely written in medias res so like i was like there in the place like the event was either happening at that moment and i was like looking up and seeing it or it was in very close remove like pretty much i wasn't writing about a place after i'd already left that place
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so it's pretty much it's I, really immediate but then of course the revision and editorial process that takes place for months and months and months afterwards as sort of the ideas start to clarify
0: so your poems are wonderful descriptions of experiencing places but go further with interesting turns for example in your poem the italians have it right you wrote i thought they would be someone but i guess instead you are a coliseum of despair let me hold you just one more time let me feed you to the lions what is your approach to finding or crafting the turn into a poem that is also about a place
1: yeah i think it's really interesting trying to figure out like how to end poems for example or or i'm always in this sort of debate with my uh, fiance because you know she's a really image heavy and you know she always loves the parts of my poems that have really stern images and i have this nasty habit of always trying to mean something in my poems like i always want to make a statement or have an argument i always think back to you know some of those old william blake poems where the literal first poem in the book will be called an argument right <laughs> where he's like here's what my claim is and i always feel the need to you know have that That sort of argument in there. Uh, And I think that having that big picture and sort of dovetailing that in some way with images is a good way to, you know, round the bend in a poem and, uh, you know, get it heading home.
0: Uh, So, rarely in my experience does a poem ever arrive fully formed multiple revisions and edits, and sometimes complete rewrites are needed. What is your method of finding a poem? And you've already mentioned, you know, the revision and editing process a little bit, but go a bit deeper.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's just being kind of brutal, you know? And I'm, I'm not actually a big fan of like doing vast rewrites, on work, it's sort of like if the bones aren't there you know from the beginning the bones aren't going to be there
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and if uh, a poem just isn't working I'm sort of more inclined to just say okay this is not a winner
2: <laughs> right
1: <laughs> and then try to you know bang it into reality but I find you know I edit a lot just by playing with line lengths by making little adjustments here and there and a lot of times chopping the end off because i you know a lot of poets and when i was a professor i'm not anymore but when i was a college professor i would often talk to students about like overwriting their poems Mm -hmm. you know they write past the end but then you gotta bring it back up um so that's a big part of it and yeah just Sort of a matter of survival like this book is you know what like 72 pages long and you know i probably wrote like 400 pages worth of poetry to get to this 72 so uh individual poems there's only so much revision that goes into them but for a book it's all about survival of the fittest for sure
0: yeah, no, I I interviewed A. Stallings recently, a wonderful poet, <laughs> and uh, she, in not in my interview, but in a different interview, she talked about how asked, how do you know when a poem's done? And she says, well, I finish it and then I cut off the last couple lines. And in the <laughs> poetry critique group I'm in, we have jokingly called that the Stallings Rule, where we'll see every once in a while, more frequently than you'd expect, that oh, this poem is really good. Just get rid of that last line or two. Yes, there is a temptation to overwrite things, to be too explicit. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So your poems make clever use of white space airplane to Bangkok and clear blue sky, for example, are double spaced. Whereas many of the poems are single spaced. I asked the question knowing that if I were asked, it would come down to the feeling or the pacing of the poem or how I believe it sounds coming off the page. What's your approach to the visualization of your poetry?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I mean the sort of the things you suggest about the, the the vibe and the feel you know but i've always been somebody who didn't want to uh you know sort of overfit lineation for mm-hmm. example like i i don't want to play with line break to such an overt sense that it actually betrays the spoken version of the poem So I I do feel like I try to make the poem on the page something that is that replicates the actual experience of reading it aloud. Mm -hmm. Like I I do feel like there's a connection in my work that I like to hold between those two things uh, so that you have a, a good roadmap. So ones that have more white space you know, maybe it's because the individual lines are meant to like resonate on their own. Like maybe I'm using less punctuation in those ones, for example, or trying to indicate uh, a matter of speed uh, in some way. Um, I, I just find it fun to use a variety of styles, but I think one unifying theme is just the connectedness to the actual, uh, you know, oral performance of it.
0: Cool. Um it sounds like this is the case, but did you end up traveling to places because you knew a poem was waiting there for you to discover? And I asked this because uh, last year I took a, people think I was nuts, but I took a 12 hour round trip driving from San Francisco Bay area to Bodie, California, because I just felt like I needed a new space to get me, to get my mind worrying. and just the whole drive there by myself, going up into the mountains, going to this incredible ghost town. I, I was really confident that I'd get at least one, Good idea, and I did. I got a poem that got placed out of that. Um, it worked. So, do you uh, do you were your trips conscious, or were they for other reasons, and the poetry was a secondary benefit?
1: Yeah, I was. I was really worried for a second. You'd say you did all of that, and
2: there was no.
0: No, problem. no. I definitely got exactly what I wanted. In fact, I got two as a just as a aside. on the way driving out of this 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 gravel road. Um, I got pulled over speeding going 30 miles an hour in a 15 mile an hour zone on a totally empty gravel road and for a second i was as you would be very embarrassed and annoyed and then i thought oh this is awesome i get a second poem out of this trip but anyway
1: yeah yeah i think like for me it i didn't go to places specifically to write poems but once i was but i you were know, always in my bag that I was packing. I always made sure I had the proper equipment, you know, that mm-hmm. I had the right size notebook that I could carry around wherever I was. And, you know, and I'd always make sure to bring a book that I was going to be sort of using explicitly for, you know, style inspiration, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, You know, to get me in some sort of voice, depending on whether I wanted to write stuff that was more, you know, uh, you know, abstract or something that was, you know, heavier on metaphor or something that was heavier on narrative, whatever sort of kind of angle I was wanting to sort of try to, you know, copy, you know, for Mm -hmm. lack of better terms. I I would always make sure that I had that. But then once I was there, it was like, okay, like this is part of why I'm here. Uh, You know, and I would really like put my mind, uh, you know, trying
2: to get something out of it for sure.
0: So in terms of your approach to writing poetry, do you, it sounds like you handwrite it. Do you type it? How much, how important is that to your approach?
1: Yeah. So when I'm traveling, I'm pretty much always handwriting. I, because I you know cell phone battery is always at a premium when you're like wandering through a developing country or something like that you don't want to be typing on your phone for too long Um, but when I'm writing in the United States you know a lot of times I'm using like a notes function on my phone I, I don't really you know type on a computer very much I used to a lot religiously but now, yeah, it's just sort of, you know, whatever makes sense at that particular time.
0: So, what role does research play? And I ask that because I think I've asked this in a couple interviews that uh, I think people don't realize how much research poets do behind the scenes to pull in things that they're not familiar with. So, talk a little bit about the research that you weave into the poetry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's always a lot of research in my work. It's not, I, uh, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, Wikipedia heavy or anything or, you know, be necessarily educational in my work or uh, pedantic, certainly not. But just by virtue of being in different places, I think there's, you know, like five different continents represented in the book. So like, just by virtue of being in all of these places, it required me to learn a lot just to be there into like know where I was uh, so that sort of research that was required by the circumstance tends to find its way into the poems and sometimes very like explicitly like if I'm in South America and I'm talking about colonialism and you know the eradication of indigenous cultures I definitely want to know what I'm talking about yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know so um, so yeah I was definitely you know always doing research, Um, if not specifically for a poem, then for the place, and then allowing it to manifest in the poem.
0: Are there places that either you want to visit or wish you could have visited uh, with the idea of capturing them in a poetic way?
1: Well, there are the places that I haven't gone yet, you know. So I I still haven't been to Australia or Antarctica. Mm -hmm. Those are my missing continents. I so I'm coming for those ones. I'm gonna to have to <laughs> get those ones at some point. Well, I
0: think my parents did an Antarctica cruise. I think that entire experience, going to the 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 tip, the bottom tip of South America, and then going on a, a very long mm-hmm. cruise, and then weather and everything. Yes, I think you could write a whole book just on that. Uh, that's a massive yeah. experience. Yeah.
1: yeah, those seem really awesome. They seem expensive, though. They so. are
0: extremely expensive. Yes, yeah. yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's rough. And I, I often find that a lot of the inspiration of you know travel poetry is cultural.
0: Right, right? yeah, and that's true. Obviously,
1: you're not getting that to the same extent in a place like Antarctica. I'd probably just end up writing like... A bunch of poems about climate change and like <laughs> you know feeling horrible about that. But, uh, so it goes.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to uh, turn the mic over to you now to read several selections from your book, which we will then talk about.
1: Okay. So I'm going to read just two poems from my new book, The Forgotten World, uh, which goes around the world. So it starts in Africa, and then, you know, moves through, you know, South America, uh, goes to Asia, then goes to Europe, and eventually, you know, comes back around to the United States for sort of a a reckoning with the homeland. So this first poem, I'm going to read, I, you know, took place in Morocco. It's called the story of the rug, you can see in my kitchen. When he tells you his friendship is not about money, it is about the heart, that we are brothers now. Do you believe? He is not your brother. He wants to sell you a rug. He wants to sell you all of the rugs. They are of the finest camel hair. You can picture the camel's long tongues, your life piled high with rugs. So of course you buy, because there is no not buying, not when you are a coward. You can give the rug away, but it will never leave you because you are no one's brother. And because that would mean you belong, just like the puddle beneath a donkey's hoof And the second poem I'm going to read is from the last part, uh, after the whole world has sort of been traversed, uh, and we're back in America. Uh, And this was sort of at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, when uh, the George Floyd protests were going on, and there was it was a lot to to deal with. And this is a poem sort of trying to contend with that. It's called apples. What am I supposed to do with the glorious wreckage of a burnt out police car or heart except cheer? To travel the world is one thing, and to travel the mind is the same thing, so nothing really changed no matter the continents crisscrossed as this grassless backyard is the same royal nothing as any other rest of the world, vast as hereditary injustice in which people should wear masks but often don't. And what of it? but my children still here stunting daily in their underdevelopments like unwatered wildflowers as the school is shuttered. And would you believe it was named after Robert E. Lee? And what 20, 30 years from now will the kids make of the shapeless weekdays or the cumulus of tear gas gesturing across the interstate? The time to wander prodigal may be over. But I'll wonder where wandering led. I'll say I've always been here watching. My fear is a sparrow who trembles in a thunderstorm. All foolish kings hoard what they want to hoard. I'll lock and deadbolt the door, and while the fires of correction raise the wicked architecture of so many centuries' cruelty, I'll try to raise my children to be sweet like an orchard.
0: Oh, I so enjoyed hearing you, you read both those poems. So I've just got a couple of questions. Um, so I love the layers in the story of the, the rug. You can see in my kitchen of bartering and the tourists compulsion to buy and the manipulation of friendship emotions. How did you approach building the layers into this particular poem?
1: Yeah, that was a, a fun poem like based very much on uh, a real experience in which i was in fez uh, morocco which is a crazy place uh, where they don't allow cars in the city center it's super claustrophobic it's like it's definitely something else and i just ended up in this place where they were trying to sell me a rug and i just like It was so impossible to leave you know like it was really hard that's why it has that bit about like you know you know you're gonna buy a rug because you're a coward right you're like you're afraid to like tell these people like no and they just kept putting rug after rug after rug on the ground they were like oh we're brothers you're my brother you know it's like you're not my freaking brother man like you're just trying to sell me a rug but i'm like too scared to tell you that i'm not gonna buy one so i'm gonna buy one so i can just get out of here Um, and this is one, like we were talking about earlier about cutting off the end. There actually, this poem used to go further Mm -hmm. uh, than it goes now, but then I just sucked it back up to that bit about, you know, the, the puddle under the donkey's hoof, you know, because that sort of idea, I think of, you know, that idea of belonging, right. That it's like, oh, if we're brothers, then, then you belong but it's like so does the puddle that a donkey's gonna step in it belongs there too so um so yeah it was definitely a you know like sort of a difficult real life experience that i think you know made for a, a rather fun and uh kooky poem
0: yeah it was both fun and but you also think about those situations where with actual friends you get Coerced is the wrong word, but you don't, want to ha- you don't want to feel like whether you let someone down or it can impact a friendship, you end up getting pulled into things that you may not choose otherwise, whether it's as simple as what, to, what restaurant to go to or what movie to see, to more serious things. I, th- I just built those connections right away. I thought it was very interesting.
1: Yeah, it actually reminds me also of uh the things they carried by Tim O'Brien, mm,
2: you know, because
1: mm-hmm. in there he talks about how it's like they're not there fighting because they're brave, they're there fighting because they're afraid to let everyone down or afraid to run away. You know, it's like they're yeah, they're they're you know too you know cowardly to be cowards.
0: Interesting. I love that phrasing. Yeah. So when reading apples uh, on the page, I imagined reciting the poem as a howl, taking as few breaths as possible. Um, how do you think about the sound of a poem? How it will be recited, as you mentioned before, that in terms of how you visualize on the page, you're very much thinking of uh, guiding the reader to how to recite it. Um, and how did you approach preparing to recite your poetry, which you'll, with a new book, you'll be doing that quite a bit.
1: Yeah, so this is actually, you know, uh, an interesting one. Like this isn't one that I would normally choose to read aloud because it's a little bit difficult to read. Um, you know, the the lines, it's, it has really long sentences in the beginning of the poem. So it's sort of like, just keeps trooping along and then it gets more you know and more uh, punctuation in it later towards the end of the poem as it sort of becomes more meditative rather than just kind of like a desperate plea for understanding like you know it's a pandemic you know we're trapped at home there are protests going on my kids are not in school so it's like they're like not learning and we're in the midst of this chaos and sort of this you know, trying to decide like how to make moral sense of this. Like if you see a police car burning, you're supposed to not like that, but then it's like, well, this maybe is a necessary step on the path to recovery, right? So, I. Uh, but yeah, to preparing to read a poem out loud, you know, there's always practice. you got to practice, you know, but I think one thing that makes it easier, I guess, you know, in my experience, at this point in my you know writing career is just the fact that when I am writing the poems, I'm already thinking
2: about. yeah, reading. yeah. you know,
1: there used to be a very big distinction where I'd be flipping through a book of mine deciding, oh, which poems am I going to read? Oh, that's a that's a poem for the page, not one for the voice. Oh that's a poem that's like looks better on the page. It's not really meant to be read out loud. And now, you know, I have sort of left that behind. You know, which I think in some ways has made my work, you know, more accessible because it needs to be apprehensible in a single hearing, you know, as opposed to something that's maybe more experimental or diffuse, where you really need to stare at it on the page. Um, but yeah, so I think that that makes it a little bit easier
0: and just uh, one more thing what are you working on now uh, with the new book out but obviously books come out and they they represent the work of year or years prior so what's uh, what's what's up for you this year
1: yeah so the big thing that i uh, there are a couple of things so one is i had got my doctorate a couple of years ago so i'm working on preparing Uh, the dissertation that I wrote for that, which is uh, a nearly 300 page book about a single eight line Walt Whitman poem. Mm -hmm. So it's very (laughs) psychotic work. Um, So I'm preparing that for for potential publication. Um, So that's a a completely different kind of project. Uh, And then, of course, still writing some poems now, very deliberately trying to write poems that aren't about travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to sort of force myself into a different space. Because uh, if you're, you know, not moving, you're staying still. <laughs> so I uh, and the other big thing, of course, is the, the press that I run, uh, Atmosphere Press. Uh, it's, uh, you know, all genres, hybrid publisher, where, you know, we're, you know, trying to work hard to, you know, help authors through editorial, cover design, distribution, promotion of their work, uh, all this sort of stuff. And we've got a great team, like, you know, working with authors to, you know, help, help treat their work well. So that's what I'm, I do with my day-to-day life.
0: Terrific. Well, thank you so much for sharing your poetry and your process on the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast today.
1: All right. Thank you so much for having me. Much appreciated.
0: The Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch. Subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. And follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings.